My wife shared this quote with me. I think it's the comedian Nikki Glaser. She said, people who refuse to go inwards, that hold in their feelings, it's like holding in a fart. <laughs> and you can, you can only hold it in for so long. And the longer you hold it in, the more damaging it's going to be on the release. So it's just a funny way to kind of think about that fear that I know many people have. They're like, what, what's on the other side? I'm like, dude, the fart's there. Like, it's going to come out some way, shape, or form. And so you might as well lean in and embrace it. What's up? My name is CJ Finley, and this is the Thrive on Life podcast. I started a brand called Thrive on Life to help other mission-based people, brands, and businesses thrive. Each week, we interview people on topics of business, health, relationships, mindset, and much more to help us thrive in all areas of life. If the messages in this podcast resonate with you, but you're still feeling a little bit stuck in actually implementing these ideas, I'd love to help you on a more personalized level or connect you with somebody that can. So please reach out. Also, if you've got a friend who you know could benefit from hearing this episode, please share the love with them. My goal is always to spread positive impact through the sharing of knowledge, and I would be honored if you could help me achieve this goal. Today's guest is Kay He. Kay worked on Wall Street for 15 years, becoming one of the youngest managing directors at BlackRock. At the time, he thought he had fulfilled the dreams he had held since childhood, income, status, and a nice apartment. But deep inside, he felt comfortably numb and was afraid he would spend the rest of his life going through the motions. So at age 35, terrified that he would spend the rest of his life going down a path that wasn't fully him, he pulled the ripcord and started Rad Reads, a blog focused on helping hard-charging professionals step back from their busy lives and ask themselves life's biggest questions. Is this as good as it gets? What does it mean to make an impact? What does a rich and fulfilled life look like? Now the blog and newsletter are read by 30,000 leaders each week across countless industries. And Kay has revamped his lifestyle to spend more time with his family, working on his passions, and going on plenty of surfing trips. Please welcome Kay He to the show. What is up, Thrive Fam? Welcome back to another episode of the Thrive on Life podcast. And today I'm very excited for the conversation with Kay, with Kay He and we're going to be chatting a little bit about productivity and how he left the corporate world and his little baby that I created, Rad Reads. So before we get into all of that, I'd love to start with a quote that I read on Kay's website, which is, the unexamined life is not worth living. It's a Socrates quote. I love this quote, and I know a lot of other people do. But for you personally, I'd love to understand what does it mean to you and how has it had an impact on your life? Thanks for having me, CJ. Um, and thank you everyone for, for listening and joining us today. I would say that for a large part of my life, examination was discouraged. My dad used to say things like, um, if you, if you have time to hike, you should go, you should like go get a job. Right. Or he'd say, uh, if you're pondering the meaning of life, get back to work. And so culturally, I came from a place where examination was kind of like um, a waste of time. Maybe there was an element of masculinity that it, it, it signified weakness. And I think there was another part of it, which was just a, a lack of emotional maturity from kind of the people around me culturally. Right. I think, 
you know, us being, you know, young men talking about Socrates, like that, that wasn't as common in my parents' uh, generation on Zoom calls. So I didn't have the tools. I thought it was a waste of time. And over the years, things in adulthood, things have opened my life to, uh, you know, what it means to, to live and examine life and to question assumptions, to really um, dance with your thoughts, right? What are thoughts? Uh, and to go inward. And, you know, it's kind of like a ripping off of layers. Once you start ripping off a layer, there's just another one and another one and another one and another one. And a lot of people find that scary. I can't imagine now not living that way. How long did you follow that voice of your dad in your head? Because I, this hits home with me so much um, throughout the years of like following the voice of, of other people rather than my own calling. And I know for anybody listening out there that it's tough to shift into what is my life? Like if I'm going to examine it in the first place, like who am I and why am I here? And it took me probably like 28 years until I started to really dig deep. But for you, how long did you follow it? And what did it look like to follow that voice of like, get back to work? Mm -hmm. It took me, and we'll probably talk about my story, but it, it took me kind of ejecting out of the traditional life path to really um, understand what that meant. Um, I think that for me, and, and that was at age 35. So to specifically answer your question, you know, I think I really started uh, explicitly examining my life at, a, at age 35 and I'm 40, I'm almost 44 now. Um, but I think that for leading up until that point, uh, I kept hearing that voice, but also it can be scary to examine. You're kind of, you always ask yourself like, what's on the other side? Like, um, will I realize that uh, I'm a bad person? Will I realize I don't care about money and I want to, you know, go Jack Kerouac style or monk mode? Or what if I like, don't like my kids or my wife, you know, like it, it's kind of, a lot of people are scared to kind of open that Pandora's box of examination. And uh, my wife shared this quote with me. I think it's the comedian, Nikki Glaser. She said, um, yeah, people who refuse to uh, go inwards that hold in their feelings, it's like holding in a fart. <laughs> and you can, you can only hold it in for so long. And, and the longer you hold it in, the more damaging it's going to be on the release. Um, and so it's just a funny way to kind of think about that fear that I know many people have. They're like, what, what's on the other side? I'm like, dude, the fart's there. Like, it's going to come out some way, shape, or form. And so you might as well lean in and embrace it. I love that. I've heard, I don't know where I've heard that, too. Have you ever read the book War of Art? I have read a lot of summaries of it. Yeah, I actually so, asked Chad GPT to summarize it for me the other day. <laughs> That's a good book. I mean, you could probably gain a lot from just the Chat GPT version, but it reminds me somewhat of that because it talks about how the resistance in your body, like we all have this feeling of like wanting to get our art out into the world, the creativity. And I've listened to some of the, your other content you talked about, like 80-20 rule of wanting your life to be more creative, the 80%, and then the 20% is the back end other stuff that we, that we must be doing. And 
most people have that flip. They're in the 80% of like doing things that they don't necessarily want to do. And the 20% maybe on the weekends or whenever they have some spare time, they go and, and do different things. But it reminds me of that resistance of in the book, he talks about the people who really lean into it are the ones that get the most out of it versus there's other people in there that show glimpses of it and they can only hold it, hold it in for so long, but then it actually becomes detrimental if they hold it in. So it's just like going back to the fart, like it's probably not great to be holding that in all the time. Like probably not good for your digestive system, but Mm -hmm. um, that's a whole nother story. Um, Can I give a side point on that? (laughs) Just hit me. You know, I never saw the movie, but so for listeners, um, CJ is referring to the war, the war on art, which is a book on creativity by Stephen Pressfield who, by the way, is the ultimate polymath. If you go look at his Wikipedia page, it's, he's so impressive. Uh, but he, he wrote The Legend of Bagger Vance, which is an old movie from, I guess, the 80s or 90s, um, which I've never seen. But The Legend of Bagger Vance is actually based on the Bhagavad Gita, which is the original, like one of the original Hindu texts. And so it just shows that all of this is interconnected, right? Mm-hmm. We think of, pe- people view the war on art as like a self-improvement book on creativity, but this is the same dude that wrote a movie about an original Hindu text, which is all about kind of connecting with the ego and the fear and all that. So sorry to take you, you all on a tangent, but I was blown away when I saw that because I, I've read the Bhagavad Gita has really uh, moved me. It's a hard, I found it quite hard to read. But it's amazing that, you know, he turned it into like a pretty popular American movie that most people probably don't even realize it's about that book. No, go on all the tangents you want. I, I did not know that. So the whole the whole point of this is to to learn more. And um, anybody out there, the other I think the other thing that parlays into um, when you're talking about the unexamined life is when you start examining your life, you start seeing wow, like this skill transfers over to here or this hobby can then help me in my career here. And that was not something that I really understood until I got into the entrepreneurial path where it's just like, I see you're starting to make more shorts and and reels and things like that and learning video. But then you start realizing like, Oh, I'm, if I'm writing scripts for this, like maybe I can write a movie one day, just like Bagger Vance. That's, that's one of the things that I noticed. And then for podcasting, like looking at the transcriptions and learning how to clean them up and writing manuscripts Mm -hmm. potentially in the future from that. And anybody that's in the corporate path, they don't teach you this. Like you go and you have your job and you kind of like are siloed into that. So I'd love to give your back, I'd love to give you the space to give a little bit of your backstory of where you're coming from, because one of the reasons I opened up with um, how long did you follow that voice from your father? Because I thought it was going to be the answer was going to be in your 30s or, or 40s um, when you had shifted. And that gives people hope because mm-hmm. I think one of the pressures that we feel in society is that we have to have it figured out by our 20s. And that's such bullshit. Yeah. Um, and I love speaking with people like yourself who have we're always figuring it out. Right. Mm -hmm. Like we still never have it figured out, but you kind of built your own path and it didn't happen until it was Mm -hmm. in your thirties and in your forties is where you're really finding your stride because I'm in my early thirties and still feel all over the place. But people like he give me hope that I'm going to find like my stride. Um, Mm -hmm. I still have so much time. So give us a little bit of that backstory so that people can connect with that. I will. And I want to just, I give a little, a very quick tangent. Um, I'm super confused about what I should be doing business-wise mm. right now, and we should talk about that. Um, I know you you probably heard Love some that. of that backstory. Uh, and so the other, I've been waking up and I'm like, what do I do all day? Um, 
And so what I've been doing the past couple of days is just drawing on Procreate uh, YouTube tutorials. Procreate is an iPad drawing app. I'm not an artist. And I'm just like, you know what? I think the answer is going to come through like drawing on Procreate. And it's just my daughter. She's nine. She draws on Procreate. We sit next to each other sometimes and draw. And I just want people to know that like, yeah, you might look at me and be like, oh, yeah, Kay has it figured out. He figured out the corporate thing, which I'll talk about. He figured out the entrepreneurial thing. It's like you do, but it's all seasons. It's all seasons of life. And it's almost like if you figure it's I'm the personality. It's like if I figure something out, it becomes boring to me. And so I try to mess it up, not mess it up, but I, I kind of uh, I turn away from it instead of like, that's why I'll never be a great classical entrepreneur because a classical entrepreneur gets like a great idea like Facebook, you know, and then just works on Facebook for 40 years or Amazon for, you know, I'll just never do that. It's, I find that way too soul sucking for my personality. So that's the tangent. I can, I cannot wait to send this clip to my wife after this because <laughs> she's a little bit different than me in this regard. Mm -hmm. And I'm, she's the one that notices how all over the place I am. And I have mm -hmm. a five week old right now. And the boat of what am I supposed to be doing with my days just got shook up. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I attached to that. Um, but yeah. I wanted to, I wanted to say, tell you something you mentioned like two minutes ago that you're like, I'm not an artist. Everyone's an artist. Yeah. So don't allow yourself yeah. to tell yourself Thank that. You. So you, you are you. an artist, um, whether you're on procreate or however you're yeah. creating, like you are an artist and, um, yeah, the floor is Thank yours. you for, and it's, it's funny, um, because I've written every day for eight years and I still <laughs> struggle to call myself a writer. Can you believe that? That's some I mean, weird shit, right? I can a hundred percent. So again, to, to, to the listeners, like, if someone looks like they have it figured out, it's probably just the way they project. Uh, like literally, I've written every day. I've probably written two million words in the past eight years. I actually worked for a fucking media company and had bylines. Uh, I was I, my title was editor at large, and I still refuse to call myself a writer. Like, Does that so? Let's let's go down that thread before yeah. we get to your backstory because that's an interesting thought. Does that come from a place of insecurity? Does it come from a yeah. place of ego? Like for yourself, where does it come from? For me yeah. personally, like when I think of stuff like this, I have a fear of attaching to titles because mm. then I feel like I have to show up for that title. So it's not even yeah. about like, am I good enough? It's like, if I call myself a writer, oh shit, do I have to write books now? Mm. Do I have to write this email every day? Do I have to show up in a certain way? Because I yeah. value freedom. So the freedom from the title is really what I... I'm always like questioning, like, am I really this thing? Um, but yeah. for you, what does that show up as? I think it's, um, I would say it's almost prestige and status mm. in that mixed, well, like prestige and status mixed with a, a sprinkle of imposter syndrome, right? That's the, co that's the delicious cocktail we're drinking here. Uh, but I think it's, it's honestly because I didn't like train to be a writer in the like traditional sense of it, which is batshit crazy. If you look at the way I've lived my life, you know, especially in the past eight years. But, um, I do have this like romanticized vision that, that, you know, like writers are English majors and, you know, like I will always be a finance guy. So I think it's a mix of, um, uh, imposter syndrome slash humility and that like, you know, there are, 
you know, there are writers and again, maybe a little like the traditional, like the traditional, like book published writers or byline in the New York Times writers. And then there are like internet, you know, this like scrappy bunch of, uh, of internet writers, but definitely from a place of, uh, of imposter syndrome slash, slash insecurity, less from attachment if, in my case. Yeah, it's it. I think everyone suffers from that in a little bit. I, I've always wondered why I don't necessarily like the insecure side or the imposter side never has been mm -hmm. a fear of mine. I'm more, I'm afraid of commitment. Like that's mm. where it's like in relationships and marriage and things like that. I'm like the most committed there is. Yeah. But when it comes to work, I'm like, I fear commitment because I think it just goes back to, um, going back to our original path where like I went to school and it was five years of engineering and mm -hmm. I don't regret it, but I always think back like, man, if I had done something different, I feel like I could have made better use of my time. Mm -hmm. And because I value the freedom and the time, like the commitment of committing to be the writer that writes every day for eight years or the author yeah. that writes a book every year. Like that's why I've, I haven't written my first book because my fear is like, as soon as I write one book, then I have to write another book. Oh, like that shit awesome. creeps into my head. Um, but complete right. sidebar. I appreciate right. you sharing that. Should I go and back I, to the story? Yeah. Let's, okay. let's, let's, let's dig into. So just to prime, prime the audience, uh, Kay has been, um, eight, you just crossed eight, eight years, eight years of, yeah kind of flying solo. And before that you were working on wall street. So how did you end up on wall street? Yeah. I, I grew up a uh, kid of first generation immigrants and kind of the classic immigrant playbook, blue collar playbook where parents devote every ounce of energy and time and effort that they have into their kids getting a great education so that they can then have opportunities that the parents didn't have for themselves with the promise that the opportunities lead to money and stability and ultimately happiness. So, you know, kind of like the traditional playbook for, for you know, life in the U.S. Uh, in many regards. And you give me a game to play and I can play it very well. I, 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 I guess I'm sounding arrogant there, but like if the rules are very clear, I, in the old days, I would outwork the rules at the competition. And now as I'm older, I think I can outsmart the competition, just like kind of really figure out what is the real lever that moves the thing. Um, kind of losing interest in playing games. So at this point in my life, uh, but I played the game, uh, went to Yale, majored in computer science, minored in economics, blah, blah, blah. Mostly because I wanted to just get a good job, and make a lot of money. Um, 2001, Wall Street banks come to Yale and all the top, you know, top universities. And they're like, we don't give a fuck what you majored in. Uh, take the signing bonus, come work for us and you will get paid. So I'm like, what? Like, this is it. Like, this is what, this is the moment I've been waiting for. The, my parents have set me up for this for my whole life and all that. And so I did it. And uh, I, I won't bore people with the details, but I did it for 14 years. Um, a lot of hard work, a lot of being in the right place at the right time, uh, a lot of diligent um, investing, like kind of making really good money, but also being a very aggressive, like I was investing like 70% of my income, 80% of my income, just in stocks uh, and very, very patient investor. And um, at 35, I, to, to be clear, like didn't have, I, I, I always tell people, I love, really love living in expensive cities. Like I'm from New York City and I live in Manhattan Beach, LA. 
Um, I love expensive cities. I love great restaurants. I love being close to museums. I love that every band always stops here. I love being next to a major airport that has direct flights to Europe. And so um, it's always going to be expensive for me to live. Um, we don't really like stuff like watches, cars, like that stuff. I don't really care about, but I, I really care about where I live. And so to give some readers some context, I had enough money to probably not work for a couple years, like two years, um, and maintain that lifestyle. Uh, but nowhere close to the money to, to, to retire, um, just to, to help pay some context. So at 35 years old, I got a one-year-old daughter and I'm like, am I really going to do this the rest of my life? Um, I was also to, to, to one of the threads from earlier, not only was I in finance, but I was in this, like the, the, the narrowest sliver of finance where I evaluated strategies that involved computers making trades. Like that's all, I didn't even talk to people who made investment. So I couldn't even go to a person to be like, tell me why you like Apple. Like, no, it would be like, why does the algorithm do this? when this happens and like what statistical model are you using to make this trade like so that was like i was really good at that really vertical niche so a few a few pebbles in my shoe a few kind of existential midlife crisis whatever you want to call it but i quit and then uh i threw myself into this kind of unknown without a plan really uh unknown world of online entrepreneurship did you read any books or stumble upon somebody or did you just magically wake up and just say, I'm going to go on my own path? Mm -hmm. What was your inkling? Like, when did that happen? Because a lot of people yeah. are out there wanting to do what you're talking about, mm -hmm. but they're waiting. They're almost waiting for permission. Yeah. Were there yeah. people or books or things that started to give you permission to take that step? Or was it just too painful and you just said, fuck it, I'm doing it? No, there was, I mean, this was like, you know, this was like the era of like peak Tim Ferriss, right? Like pre-social. Yeah. So, but no, the, 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 it was before that even was a genre, really. I mean, 4-Hour Workweek was the only book. I think I read it, but it didn't really move me. I love Tim Ferriss, but th that book specifically didn't move me. It was three. So no, there wasn't a book. And, and in fact, all of my cultural coding from my parents, from my college friends, from my neighbors in Brooklyn, like all of it was like, stay, right? Like when you're in New York in that world, like there's very few forces pulling you outwards because it's kind of the whole city or that strata of the city is all like built on that, right? The restaurants, the parties, the yep. clubs, the social life, the school, it's, it's all intertwined. So if anything, the forces were pushing you to stay. A few things that happened. One was I got a real life, my I got a real life example of the hedonic treadmill. Meaning, uh, my first bonus was like uh, when I got a signing bonus, like seventy five hundred bucks when I was uh, in twenty two years old. I was like shitload of money in like two thousand two. I'm like, oh my god, like. I used to like worry about $200 Air Maxes and yep. like I could buy three pairs and like still have 7,000 left over, you know, well, it's taxes. So it was actually 37.50. But um, so there I got that and, and I was very lucky uh, because I was every step of the way I was being compensated very well. Uh, 
And so what happened though is, um, I, I always tell the story, it's like the first time I ever smoked weed, I was 18 years old, sitting on a park bench uh, overlooking the East River in New York, and there was these four smokestacks. And they, they turned into a, um, what's the thing in Star Wars, like the, the big thing that walks, you, you know, the Star Wars monster thingy. Oh my uh, God, the Wookiee, uh, the, uh, the big blob thing? No, it's like a it's like a, a truck on like four giant stilts and it kind of like Oh, I know what like you're a, talking about. I have no idea what the name is. Though. Anyway, I saw one of those like I took one hit and like I <laughs> like the smokestack turned into that. And you know, I'm not a big pot smoker, but pretty much like I'd have to smoke all day to even have a shot at seeing that again at forty three. And I got the same the same thing happened to me with success and stuff so i you know i get these bonuses and they get bigger and bigger and bigger crossing seven figures towards the end it was just like more money in one payment than my parents made in their entire careers like it was crazy and but every subsequent time it felt it was bigger and it felt less exciting and that was like the first kind of like warning warning the thing that you think has been you know the, the story you've been told may not be true warning warning and like maybe I, maybe I don't give myself enough credit CJ's like maybe my life was examined enough in the sense that I actually heard that like I heard a little voice saying every time one of these things happened like warning warning the thing that you've been told might be a lie the thing you've been told might be a lie and like I couldn't unhear it so that was that was one thing the other thing uh, was... So it, the way that I think about it, I don't want to cut you off, no. but the way that I think about it is like your reward center started to like redline. Like you, yeah. you had found the redline of your reward center. So like yeah. we all have this threshold of like what we get rewarded. It's like I played sports growing up. Mm -hmm. So you score some goals when, you, when you're a young kid and everyone pat you on the back, your parents are happy, like, oh my God, he scored his first hat trick, like, and you feel great. Mm -hmm. But as you get better and you get older, like, it doesn't feel the same. It's like, yeah, yeah. like, I'm just doing what I've been made to do over mm -hmm. and over and over yeah. again. Um, and you're, you're promised this feeling um, mm -hmm. that just never, you're never yeah. satiated again. That's yeah. what he's talking about when yeah. it turns to hedonic treadmill, where it's just yeah. like, I know that specifically with not just career, but I wanted to bring sports in there because I think a lot yeah. of people relate to that. The difference between the first time you score a goal and like the hundredth time is yeah. way different. But the people who are professional athletes, like for them, their reward center is continuing to like almost, they're obsessed with that reward center. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think for you, that that was like the same thing for me. I still remember, it's funny you mentioned 7,500. I think that was for my first job was like the first the sign on bonus as well. Mm -hmm. Um, and I remember that feeling like mine was a little bit more messed up. I'd be like, Oh, I can go out and buy a bottle at the club this weekend. Mm -hmm. Like at the, one of those big ass bottles for Don't my get home. me wrong. Yeah. We did that too. <laughs> <laughs> like I can go buy this big ass bottle for everybody and yeah. I have a shitload of money left over. Mm -hmm. uh, I could pay my rent. I could pay my roommates rent if yeah. I wanted to, like mm -hmm. the world is great. Um, but then you, you realize you start waking up to, your reward center that yeah. it just wasn't rewarding you anymore. So, yeah. Um, and guess what else you mentioned sports. I mentioned money. I mentioned achievement and I alluded to this in my first story. Guess what, what else displays that, um, substances, right? Alcohol, drugs, 
Like think about think about how much alcohol it took you to get drunk when you were whatever, 16, Oof. 18. Big and think facts. about how much alcohol, I mean, now that I'm 43, it, it, it like, it goes back down. But like, I don't know, pick your peak partying days and you're like, it's like quintuple, right? It's like the amount. So it, it's it's interesting there. And and, and there's a fun, you might have seen this, this statistic or research, but they talk about this because where um, they look at the, the happiness of people who won the lottery and people who were paralyzed in car crashes. And they actually, over time, revert like close to where they were before the, the event. They're, they're still slightly, so the paraplegic is still slightly less happy than before the accident. And the lottery winner is slightly happier, but it's, it's like tiny. It, it's, you know, it's, it's like the difference of, you know, your team winning the World Series. It's not the difference of, you know, having hundreds of millions, you know, tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars, which, which again, this is a much longer conversation, but it, the, the question then becomes like, can happiness come from things that are external or do they have to come from things that are internal? And that's a much deeper philosophical question and psychological and, question. And what it makes me think of is happiness of muscle. Like mm, you have to train yeah. it. Mm -hmm. Um, so that, that, that's something that I've dived into, but I kind of took you off your tangent, yeah. there, but I just wanted to, it reminded me of the whole reward center thing. And yeah. I think a lot of people can relate to that. And I love how you pointed out substances as well, because you're spot on, like one of the reasons, um, so I'm, I'm going on two years sober this August. Um, Congrats. so it would definitely affect me differently than it kind of like, I have the, the, the bell curve when it comes to mm -hmm. alcohol. Like when I started, it was ter uh, like, couldn't handle anything and then mm -hmm. peak college and then started dropping yeah. off. But that is that reward center that I think <clears throat> applies to a lot of, of life, especially a career. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think people start to realize that professionally, like especially high performers, start to and this is why athletes get depressed when they when they retire a lot of them uh michael phelps like think of like how incredible he was and like borderline su suicidal or de definitely like extremely depressed um but um but i think people start to realize that high performers start to realize that kind of in their 30s and 40s where they've had like kind of like the athlete metaphor they've had like a great 10-year run professionally right it's like like roy kent in uh in ted lasso right um you can't let go to to that feeling um so so yeah so so that's a it's a very real thing across disciplines and it is human nature too right we we're kind of there, there are arguments that were made to seek more because getting more was how we ensured our survival as a species i would say like capitalism probably like took that desire and you know made a you know, Disney theme park out of that desire, um, literally and metaphorically. But um, anyway, that that's my that's my take on hedonic adaptation. So to bring it back, I was like, shit, I've been sold a lie or consider that you've been sort of like, what would you do, Kay, if this whole plan that you had concocted in your, you know, as a teenager to make this money and be happy was actually flawed? That was one thing. The second thing, my friend uh, Nick Majuli talks about it. He's like the, he calls it like the liabilities of success is that I looked at the people that were 10 years older than me and they had, you know, this was pre-Tesla, but like multiple, you know, G-Wagons and their kids went to $50,000 a year, private schools and second homes and Aspen and, and all that. 
but they were also watching their kids' soccer games on conference calls, like taking notes, like on the back of a fucking napkin and shit, you know, like in the middle of winter. And so I think that I also got a taste is like, if that's success, A, I didn't really care that much about that success, but the cost of that success was ridiculous. To be 50 years old and still have calls you had to be on on Saturday morning, like what's the fucking point of making money if you have to be on a call on 9 a.m. on a Saturday, right? And so I kind of like, that was a little bit more obvious one where I was like, nah, that's like, all like, keep your Aspen homes, all that stuff. Like, I don't want to play that game. And I think like what I really, what I really started to realize is like, this is a game and I'm touching wood. I know how to play it pretty well. I don't want what's on the other side of the game. So like, what do I do? What do I do now? And then the third thing is something that I come back to all the time, which is kind of like my, my guiding light right now is just like, what makes me come alive? And I ask people this all the time. So if you're listening, like, what makes you come alive? Like alive, like that, that the joy, that childlike joy where time melts away and you don't care like what people are going to say or not say. Like everyone has something like that, has many things like that. And I just knew that I had this untapped reservoir of aliveness, which I guess in hindsight was creativity and writing. I didn't know that at the time. And it just, it needed, it was like, like oozing out of my body. It just needed, it needed to come out. And, uh, and I just, I just knew it. So I think those three things kind of were like, you've been sold a lie. You don't want what's on the other side. And you're a 35 year old making a ton of money and you feel dead inside. Like, yo, check the script. What were the struggles when you first jumped ship? Because for me, I remember you have, it's almost an adrenaline rush. Mm -hmm. Going back to everything we've been talking about, you get that $7,500 bonus check. It's an adrenaline. And then you have this adrenaline dump. You you take a couple shots of alcohol and like you have this Mm -hmm. adrenaline rush. And then the come down. It was the same thing for entrepreneurship for me. It was like, I'm fired up that first month. Mm-hmm. And then you start looking at the resources that you yep. used to have and mm-hmm. they're dwindling and yeah. you don't necessarily know what you're doing or where you're going or who you're going with. Mm-hmm. And then lifestyle creep starts coming in. Yeah. So for yeah. you visually, if you can give a representation of that, mm-hmm. yeah. what did that look like? So we had, we didn't have the uh, entrepreneurial adrenaline in that uh, we took, a, we did a family eat, pray, love trip. So we packed our, <laughs> I said, I said we packed our baby up. We packed our bags and took our baby uh, and we went the well, one-way ticket, like literally one-way ticket to It's Bali. amazing. Uh, and we ended up putzing around Asia and part, and then we came back. We were living in New York at the time. Now we live in LA. Uh, we came back to LA, but it was like a four-month trip. And it was, I mean, our kid was really young, like, 14 months, I think at the time, not even walking and just, you get in, you know, when you travel that much, like there's just, there's not a lot of stability. You have a five week old. So imagine the absence of stability, you know, it's, it's the, the kid's a little bit older, but, but that, so we did that when we came back. Okay. What was hard? Um, there was a lot of second guessing in the, like, did I make the right decision? Right. 
mean, it's just, you know, it, at its surface, it, w- it would be one thing if I had a plan. Like, I didn't even have a plan. Um, and so it just felt absurd in, in, in many regards. That was one thing that was gnawing at me. Uh, the second my wife said, you know, if you're going to do this, it's a one precondition. It's like, um, I don't want you to be stressing about buying generic toothpaste or, you know, living <laughs> off of ramen. It's like, if, if, if you're going to let that happen, just stay right. I don't, we we're too old. We don't need that in our life. We're too old for that shit. Uh, so that, so the money thing was actually, the money thing has ebbed and flowed over the years for, for, for a while. I will say one of the strange things about the money thing, well, actually two things happened. The first I took 18 months of living expenses, reasonable living expenses, and put them in a separate account. And then every month I would like, quote unquote, pay myself a salary out of that. And the whole deal with my wife and myself was, uh, if you if that money runs out, you raise your hand. You know, it was enough to hurt, but not enough to, to be debilitating. Um, you just raise your hand and you just uh, go get a job, right? So that was the uh, that was the plan. There's a weird thing that happened, and it's probably not worth dwelling on too much. But there was this whole elaborate financial model that I was like, oh, how much do we spend? This is not like crazy like finan- fire financial independence retire early, but there's this big model. Uh, but the thing is like. The model is so weird because like you'd get a little bit of cash, you'd have your salary from the thing. And I had like a huge or significant stock portfolio and the stock market was doing was booming during those years. Uh, and so even though we were spending a lot of money, our net worth as a family was actually going up, which is kind of like a weird thing. But at the flip side, you can't eat your stock portfolio, right? Um, you can't eat capital gains. Yeah, you don't want to take the tax hit. Yeah, you got to take the tax. I'm and- literally in that position right now. Yeah. <laughs> Margin lending was uh, one of the answers, um, but that's a whole, that's definitely another conversation. So the money thing was kind of always there, but it wasn't the dominant one. The biggest one was it shattered my sense of identity. I call it an identity earthquake. So I would get these texts. So we went away, so you couldn't even like text me because I didn't have service and you know all that stuff. That was four or five months. We came back and then the texts just started Every day, it was the same text. What are you, and the you was in all caps, what are you doing? Question mark, exclamation point, question mark, exclamation point, question mark, exclamation point. What are you doing? And it's an interesting thing. It's a very like a Taoist thing because in that text, that text is kind of in the eye of the beholder, right? If you're feeling insecure, you can view it as someone being like, what the fuck are you doing? If you think if you think the person is trying to shade you, you could be like, dude, what are you doing? If you are super confident, you can see enthusiasm in that. What are you doing now? Right? And at that moment, I wasn't the third. I was some version of the first and the second. And so I kept getting that text and it hurt. I almost, I tell you, see, I almost got a job just to make that text go away. And that was probably the hardest part is that even my, my wife, she, cause we, that was right when our kids started going to preschool. So you have all these fucking PTA events and, and all this stuff, you're going to have that soon. And, and they're like, Hey, what's your name? And like, what does your husband do for work? Oh, um, man. And, and my wife, she, you know, she's super talented, super smart. She'd be like, 
what do I tell these people? Like, what do you do? Right. <laughs> and it's not my mom. She'd be like, hey, you're you're. Your great aunt in, you know, fucking Sweden or no, I don't have a great aunt. So your great aunt in Paris wants to know what you're doing. And I'm like, what do I say? And I'm like, I don't fucking know. And I think that you forget. I mean, we talked about identity, like being a writer and how hard it is. Like when there's a hole and, you know, but in the old days it was easy. It's like, oh, he's he's got this, fan, you know, he's a managing director at BlackRock. 80% of my social circle knew how to understand that. For the 20% that didn't, it was like, he has a really high paying job. And that's all that anyone, so 100% of the people knew exactly what my identity was in that sense. That was extremely hard because I felt like the, the insecure, like whatever insecurity I had, it was like needle 10x by that text. And it was relentless. I swear I got that text over 100 times. This this hits home more than I can even explain. We could do a whole podcast <laughs> on that. I I I don't associate with the personal feeling of that text, mm -hmm. but I associate with like I'm somewhat of an empath and like try to take on some pain of other people around me. Mm -hmm. Um so when it hurts, like when you mention your wife or my mother-in-law will get asked and they're getting annoyed by it, mm -hmm. then it starts to annoy me. And mm -hmm. that's where, like, I don't give a shit. Like, if someone asks me, like, yeah. some of the time, like, thrive on life, right? So people would be like, what do you do? And I'm like, oh, I live life. Like, mm -hmm. and then we just get under this, they, they're like, oh, like, explain. And then we go <laughs> on a great conversation. But yeah. when it's for other people and they experience um, the nuance and the annoyance, uh, especially your significant other, because, yeah. I mean, they, they are a, a part of you and, yeah yeah and um yeah I've, I've experienced that firsthand and and fortunately over the years it gets easier and easier i think because the work starts speaking for itself in the early yeah. days it's very hard because um like a good example for me is like you could just google my name now you could see five different projects that i've worked on and things mm -hmm. that i've done so if she really wanted to explain it she could just rely on that Those or are, anybody yeah. can rely on that. But when you're in the early days and you're really in this creative mode of just trying to yeah. understand where you're trying to go and, and build up to that. Um, I feel like that right there, what you hit on identity. I've talked with Paul about this a lot. Mm -hmm. I think that's, it's not even the money. I think that's what holds the most people back. It's the yeah. identity, especially like for me, it wasn't just attached to the job. It was attached to like my actual degree, like engineer. Mm -hmm. Like I had yeah. to let go of like, Oh, I went, I spent a lot of fucking money and a lot of time, more time than I'd ever spent now, like five years. Like you tell me five years to sign up for something. I'm like, again, yeah. fear of fear of commitment. I'm like, I won't even do things for five months now. Mm -hmm. Um, and you have to let go of that identity and sign up for that. That's, that's very challenging. Yeah. What, what was on the other end of that for you though? Because I'd love to like clearly rad reads, like I I've read a lot of your stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I love your 10 K work quadrant, mm -hmm. things of that nature. That clearly was a result of you sticking through the pain of yeah. the identity crisis. But how mm -hmm. long did it take to really understand like, okay, rad reads is where I'm going and figuring out the work quadrant. And then like during yeah. the pandemic, doing some of the cohort, uh, group courses, group yeah. courses that you were doing. Like I, I want to, I know that it takes a lot longer, but if you yeah. can, it's like, have you ever seen the, the vision, <laughs> the picture of the guy, the, the two guys in there, they have a pickaxe 
and they're uh, chasing the two diamonds and one was like one guy was like a foot away from it and he quits and then the other one just kept going oh i don't um, think i've seen that one yeah it's like a, a little meme that yeah. for entrepreneurship that's i see it Got all the it. time um yeah. but kind of like i've experienced that and then kind of like reading into how how you've gone about it yeah um it could definitely feel like that yeah so um, and so the question is like, how did it, when did it start to click? When did you, yeah. When did it click? Like that? when did rat, you, you mentioned how long you've been writing, like yeah. how many days you've been writing and then 10 yeah. K work quadrant. Like it wasn't just, you mentioned you went four months and you were just traveling yeah. and doing whatever. Like when did it start clicking of, okay, this is going to be my thing. So uh, let me give you a few milestones. Um, so I leave in January, uh, May of 20, 2015. Uh, my last day is May 4th, but I was I love tequila, so I say Cinco de Mayo is my last day. Um, and so I kind of fuck around basically for the rest of that year. And I am writing rad reads, but it's really like, it's like a Gmail at that point. Um, so I'm writing this weekly newsletter and it's really just like, it's just like a thing, just keeps me busy. I'm not thinking of it much. Uh, in In... 2016, I get invited to do a TEDx. So I was like, oh, like my little writing is like getting somewhere. Like someone wants me to do a TEDx. So that was uh, May, you know, that's like nine months after I left. Not really money, but nice to have. Maybe uh, six months after that, so it's like 15 months after I left, newsletter starts to get some traction. Uh, maybe has like a thousand subscribers at the time. And one of the readers reaches out and says, hey, can you coach my management team? on some of the things that you're writing about. That was the first time someone cut me a check. So that's 15 months later. Uh, November of 16, uh, three articles on me come out. Um, Bloomberg, Barron's, and CNN. All organic, I don't have PR or anything like that. Um, that takes off, uh, that I go from like a thousand subscribers to like 9,000 subscribers in a month. So that was like, uh, so that was, uh, that had been a year and a half, almost two years at that point. Still not really making much money other than, than this coaching gig. Uh, the following year, 17, so now we're two years after I left, uh, a friend reaches out to me and says, do you want to be an entrepreneur in residence at a media company called Quartz, QZ.com? So I'm like, cool. I, I say I was, a, I was an unpaid intern. I was the 38-year-old unpaid intern. And so I joined a media company. I sit there. I learn journalism. I get a byline. I actually started a kind of an, a competitor with air quotes to Harvard Business Review. That was like two years. I'm not getting paid. They started to pay me towards the back end, uh, get a few more coaching clients. And so that was kind of like the... So, so I, I won't go through all those, but those are like... That was like kind of how I started to get my traction where it's like some people, someone's like, let me pay you a little to do this. Another person's like, let me talk about you on this platform. Then another person was like, hey, join us, come work for free for us. And I kind of like raised my hand to all those things and, and they started to create a bit of a snowball, right? And I think that's where, when I felt like every, like when I felt like I always knew what I should be working on, then things felt stabler. And, and of course, when there's like some kind of regularity of income coming in. And, and to be honest, there's never really been regularity. There's been volume, but it's, it's been like quite sporadic. Um, another big turning point was teaching uh, a cohort-based courses. So from September of 19 until basically January of 23, so almost three, three years and change, 
I started teaching online courses and that spanned all of COVID. They were on productivity. They, they morphed in a few different ways, but that was really the, the closest I ever came to building a business. That course over the stretch did, I think like 1.5 million in revenue over like a two and a half, three year period. Uh, from there, I grew a team to five people. And then uh, that was kind of like a big chunk of three years, like the, the last three years kind of leading up until January of 2023. That the floor fell out from under that, like online learning is no one gives a fuck about online learning anymore. If you're like, you want to buy 17 hours of Zoom calls, like, no, thanks. Um, the economy, we were a higher end product aimed at, you know, finance people and so on. So it was $2,000 price point. The floor completely fell off from other under me and variety seeking K came out. I was like, yeah, that was a fun three years, but I'm, I'm not sure if this is exactly, I don't want to build an online education business. Uh, and so I had to let go of three of my colleagues. We downsized tremendously. And here I am now waking up every morning, not knowing what to do. And so I'm drawing on procreate watching YouTube videos. And that brings us to today. Heck yeah. Thank you for running me through that. One of the reasons that I wanted to uh, get that response from you is for anybody thinking about starting something like you got to think of the beginning of your journey, like building a house. Like the first thing you do when you build a house is actually go downwards. You build into the ground and build the foundation. And for you, knowing that you have a newsletter and, and I've been in the world of newsletters and podcasts and things like that, when you, that's like building the foundation of the house. Like you're not, I was listening to a podcast that you were on and you mentioned like it, you went a year or so without asking for payment for anything. And then your cohort hit that first time around because you would build that foundation to finally ask. And that's, yeah, that that's three years. So that's building a strong foundation. And that, I think that coupled with identity, losing the identity is the hardest part to realize because like for me coming out of college and they give you $80,000, $90,000, you approach six figures very quickly versus when you're in entrepreneurship, Mm. when you're building the foundation, you're actually spending money and like spending time and spending resources. Um, and you start realizing that like, okay, like the longer I can hold off and the more that I can give, there's actually going to be a big, I don't like to use the word payday, but like Mm -hmm. a, a day where like the rainbow is going to end and I'm going to hit, hit some type of satiating feeling. Um, Mm -hmm. and that journey is talking with other entrepreneurs is, is rather familiar to Mm -hmm. a lot of us. Like the story you told, like similar to mine and similar to other people, but if you're not in this world, it's not similar. So if you're on the cusp of starting something and doing something, know that like, if you're starting the YouTube or starting the podcast and you're starting the email, that's the foundation. So don't Mm -hmm. necessarily worry. Like obviously, we, I set myself up. I had six months emergency fund, like set, yeah. be smart about your decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd love to chat a little bit more about how did you come about? Can I add to that though, that, that there's a Go cheat ahead. code in all this. Let's and hear it. The cheat code is if you find the thing fun, you'll never regret doing it. So I don't do things that I don't find fun. Like, don't get me wrong. Like there are parts of running a business that are tedious, but I really, really, really try hard to not do them. And that doesn't always mean outsource them because as a small self-funded business, like your options for outsourcing are not high. 
So anything that I do is always through the bar of like, is this fun? So I'll give you the example you've seen. I've been, I've done, I think 200 consecutive days of shorts. Like one day I was like, I want to learn this new medium, 200 days. I have an editor in Nigeria, like super cheap, super good, um, super, super cheap rate. Um, good editor. And it's crickets, man. I, it's like I spend at the beginning, I was spending two, three hours on a reel. It would get like a 600 views, right? It's not driving any revenue. I don't even have that many Instagram followers. I, have, I started with zero TikTok followers. And I was like, no, but this is, I don't regret it because I'm having fun. I'm honing my craft. It's to your metaphor of like building the foundation. Like I, someone asked me today, what's been the ROI of your shorts? I was like, I don't know, really negative. Um, but this is my response to him. I said, I've set myself up really well for the next decade. Cause video, like video is gonna be huge. I mean, it is huge and it's gonna continue to be huge. And so that to me, I'm like, I was like, I never once thought about, I don't have to think about the ROI because I was having fun. So the I was already positive for those who aren't familiar with the return on investment. The I, the investment was, uh, the return, sorry, was already positive because I was having fun. I mean, like some people go to Vegas to have fun. And so they have a, a positive return. I was trying to explain this to my daughter. Like some people enjoy gambling so much that it's worth the money that they lose. I'm not one of those, uh, but like that's a positive ROI for them. Some with alcohol, concerts, Coachella, you name it, right? Um, but for me, it's always like, if I find joy in the creative act, then fuck, you, you're cheating. Because I'll never look back and be like, even if I like, like I, I did a podcast for 52 weeks. I was like, I was like, I didn't, I never looked back. I'm like, oh, I wasted 52 weeks on that podcast. I'm like, I made amazing connections. I learned how to be a good speaker. I learned the back end of a podcast. I learned how to promote social clips. I learned how to engage with guests. Fuck. I was like, so, so that's like the cheat code. It takes, I will say the, the problem with that cheat code is it makes everything take longer because you're not hacking anything. You got to do it from like a true, like truly has to come from within. So you're not hacking it. But I tell people like, I want to be a creator. Like I want this to be my last job. And I would, you know, touch wood. I would like to be cognitively with it and working till, you know, my mid sixties, seventies. So like, I got a long time left in this career. And it, what's the point if it's not fun? I love that. Have you heard of Opus? Uh, the tool to help you chop do uh after this podcast like i i have some ideas for what you okay. can be doing with your short form stuff cool uh, this is the, the my wheelhouse and this oh, like yeah sweet. and when i saw that you were investing more energy into that uh, i do have a couple cheat codes for that cool. world specifically um Amazing. which is gonna be a hell a, a ton of fun and then also when you're on podcasts like this like it just it this is a complete sidebar, but anybody listening, if you use this tool, I can upload this podcast to YouTube and then just take that YouTube link, put it into the AI, and then it automatically creates clips from wow. that podcast, from that YouTube. And it's only going to get better. That's the thing. Like, That's So amazing. something that you, you mentioned was like having fun. But what I also think about is you're gaining skills and going back to the very beginning of this conversation where you're just like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like I'm, I'm on Procreate with my daughter. Like even if the point of the moment of you being on procreate drawing with your daughter is to bring you closer to her like that is the meaning yeah. of life and that is the most important thing and so i'm in, i'm really inspired by that and it, it 
I wanted to chat about like, yeah. what are you most proud of over mm. the eight years? Because it's not something that we necessarily, because we're talking about identity and we're talking yeah. about the things that we've done, but yeah, they're all just self, like they're all like, you just put them on your resume and it's like, yeah, yeah cool. But personally, like what has felt, mm. it doesn't always have to be a medal or yeah, your, like a, a check. It could be just something really personal. So what if, yeah. what, what makes proud great that's a great question cj i've been on a lot of fucking podcasts and no one has ever asked that question and i've been asked every question under the sun and so kudos to you man that is and, and not only has no one is it unique but it's a phenomenal question that's that i find very moving so so thank you for that um what am i most proud of I am most proud of I think that I have been able to get people to shift the way they think about something that they never knew could have a perspective shift. Uh, and it might be the way they interact with their kids. It might be the way they think about work. It might be the pressure that they put on themselves, like with a gnarly inner critic or, you know, that kind of stuff. And I, I wouldn't even, and, and I say it not in the sense of like, I write these ideas and, uh, and like, you know, 40,000 people read them, whatever. It's more the, the, the direct messages that people, the DMs. And the DMs are so moving. I screenshot them all. I usually reply to the DMs with a video, like a Loom video. Um, and it's just like, there's that human connection where I think that person is probably like, oh, this, you know, some assistant's gonna read this message or it's going into like a spam box. And so I thank them. I, if you've ever written one of those to me, I thank you for like, believing that someone might actually read it and take the time to read it in addition to like what you've said to me. Um, and yeah, just seeing, and, and they're, they're all over the place. I mean, there definitely have been a few people that have talked about re being in really, really dark places in their lives and something that I don't even remember that I said, some weird angle that, <clears throat> that I took or some framing of something or just the way I delivered something on a video and uh, and again, this is like the, the writer part of like, I hate calling myself a writer, but they'll say things like, oh, it changed the course of my life. Um, and I'm just ne ne just counting off of the number of direct messages I've gotten on this. And we're probably talking like 100 or 200, somewhere between like 100 and 200. <clears throat> I, I never thought that me being myself, living the way that I want to live, having fun unabashedly having fun could lead to that. And so I hope that anyone that's listening is like, again, I, I'll give you all the tactics and I'll, whatever. And I'll, I'll admit to you all the stuff that I'm like, I don't fucking know what I'm doing, but just know that like, yeah, it might look cool to be like, oh, okay, it's 40,000 Twitter followers or this, but like the stuff that really moves me is the personal DM. And if, even if you started a newsletter and you wrote from the heart, 
you would get one of those DMs, you know, within a couple months of, of doing it. And that's that's kind of like, that's what I play for. And the other stuff is just icing on the cake. Chills. Uh, I relate to this so heavy and I have I have a practical thing that you can do to make it even more special for you. So when people send you um, those messages, create, I don't know if you can see this, uh, shit. Mm. My motivators. Oh, right? cool. See right there. Yeah. So these are all the screenshots of people mm. that have said something like you're talking about yeah. to me and to thrive. Mm-hmm. And they'll be like, oh, you've helped me here. Or you've done this or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I screenshot it because on my worst days, yeah. those yeah. that's where I that's where I go, mm-hmm. that, that album. And anybody listening to this, what I want to tell you is you are that person to somebody out there. Yeah. Every um, single one of you. Every, yeah. Like, even if, like, I used to, uh, I had an internship program and I would work with college kids and a lot of them were just like coming to you like, Oh, I don't have skills. I don't have this or how, how can I serve? How can I help? Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, you're 20. There's an 18 year old out there that's trying to get into the programs that you're in right now. Go help that person. And then that 18 year old could help the 15 year old and that 15 year old. could. So we can always like help and we can always be that person. So you don't have to be, K who's written for eight years straight to receive the DM, Mm -hmm. especially like if you have family, like just be that person first to the person that's like one degree away from you. So I love that you shared that. And it just reminds me to keep going on my path because those messages feel way better than the, the, the salary that I used to have. And it's a reminder to just double down on Mm -hmm. that. And really in my, in my days of, I think you're in this as well as like, what should I do with my days? I start asking myself, like, how do I, like, who do I want to receive these messages from? Mm, And I just start there. And Mm -hmm. because when you think of products or services, it's okay. Like I'm a new, I'm a new dad. Um, Mm -hmm. and some of the things that come to mind with being a new dad is like, how do I navigate business? How do I navigate Mm -hmm. my relationship with my wife? How do I navigate my fitness? Um, mental, physical, and spiritual fitness. Mm-hmm. Um, and Use your I w- kid as a kettlebell. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not kidding. It's like they're the best kettlebell. Goblet squats, uh, weighted push-ups, uh, hill, hill climbs. Your kid is the this. best kettlebell. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, I, lo- I love that. But to, to that point, it's if I did that, I would attract the, the people that I want to receive the messages from. Like right now in my life, it's like, I want to talk to more dads who feel overwhelmed with everything because we don't have that tribe to. So that's what I've been feeling lately and where I've been going. And like you kind of unlocked a little bit of where I should actually be going yeah. and what I can look to just from, from seeing that. But we're getting, we're getting close to yeah. uh, wrapping up. I don't want to take too much of your time here today. Okay. Um, but there's two things I wanted to talk about that, that I kind of seen you, seen you write about. And I had, um, it kind of trick triggered me in a good way. Like uh-huh. I was interested to hear your, your take. So yeah. you wrote about bucket lists and reverse bucket list concept. Yeah. Um, I'd love for you to just speak to that because a lot of lingo, like coming out of the, um, like you, you're leaving the corporate world. People will be like, mm-hmm. Oh, what's on your bucket list. Go do the things on your bucket list. Um, and then seeing you kind of like rephrase it in your mm-hmm. writing, uh, to follow a different path. Like I, re- I really enjoyed that. It gave me a different, a different yeah. lens on it. So I'd love for you to speak to the audience about that. Yeah. Thank you. So the, the bucket list thing is, um, I, so I, I've been very lucky working on wall street. You get 
a lot of bucket list uh, at bats uh, because there's so much money there and there's so much status and all that. So I've been to the Super Bowl. I've walked. Um, I don't. I'm not a football person, but uh, courtside of the um, like the Dallas Cowboys new stadium. I've been courtside front row on at the Nets, like a few seats down from Jay Z, Beyonce, um, Tory Lane. No, not Tory Lanez. Um, Jeezy, uh, front courtside Lakers, courtside Knicks. My coolest thing was uh, I skied at the Yellowstone Club, which is a private mountain in Mont next to Big Sky, Montana. Like literally fresh tracks wow. the entire day. And the funny thing is. I never thought about any of those things. I've only thought about those things uh, when I wrote that blog post and if I've tried to flex on someone. Those are the only two times I've ever thought of those items. Because just like what we were talking about, the bonuses, the cars, the goals, the alcohol, the weed, the stormtroopers, like it just, it, that's not... That's not happiness. That's not sustainable happiness. And it always reverts down. And so I've kind of inverted that. And I have a, a new theory on happiness, which I call the tiny moments theory of happiness, is that a happy life is just, it's not, it's the complete opposite of bucket list. It's like uh, right now my, my, my throat is a little bit parched, parched. So I'm going to take a sip of this water. And it's so delicious. Like I've been so thirsty because I've been so hyped talking to you and I've forgotten to drink. And so happiness is actually just these like stringing together these tiny moments. Like the other day we were talking about earlier, uh, my daughter is like, she's really obsessed with like why people would go to gamble, which I, I'm glad she thinks it's a strange thing. Um, but she, but, but it was also this like little nuance where, um, I could explain that like, you know, sometimes it's worth paying for things that bring you happiness. Just that little, little moment, right? Uh, I know you're gonna see this soon with, with, uh, with your, your kids, but like I, I remember all my, 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 uh, my other daughter called butterflies, bubba flies. And um, she calls Statue of Liberty, Statue of the Statue of Delivery. Um, you know, she calls sunscreen, scrun screen. Um, just these little things like, Honestly, I swear to God, remembering those five words, sun, sunscreen, statue of delivery, bubba flies, um, will bring me so much more happiness than skiing private tracks at Yellowstone Club. I promise you that. And that's just like one tiny sliver of my relationship with one of my daughters. And so it's kind of this, it's like the, almost like Eckhart Tolle, like power of now, which is like, we have these beautiful moments. Like I have loved every single moment of this conversation. There's no other place I would rather be in the world for the past night, 70 minutes. What greater gift? There's no greater gift. And so I think it's still cool. Go for the bucket list stuff. If it motivates you, it's cool. It makes for a good story, but don't think that it's a stand-in for enduring and abiding peace and happiness, which at the end of the day, I think is what we all want. Uh, the quote that comes to mind is be where your feet are. Mm. Something I've been saying to myself I a lot. I love that. 
lately. I love that. Because like the bucket <clears throat> list, your perspective on it, and I got that when I read it, like the bucket list is in front of you because like, if, even if you think about the bucket list, right? Like how many days do you actually, even when you're in the corporate world, you mentioned mm-hmm. you had one week of vacation. So how many days do you actually get to do the bucket list items? But mm-hmm. every day of your life is 90 plus percent of your life. So instead of focusing on the bucket list and on that list, that's like untouchable, you should be focused on like what's right in front of you, like where mm-hmm. your feet are. And yeah. This has been, I think that's the, that's been the most tricky with, with having a new child is like, mm-hmm. because I'm like, oh, I want to be where my feet are. I just want to hang out with him all day. Mm-hmm. But like the, the tangible aspects of our reality where yeah. I do have to like make some money, mm-hmm. uh, don't allow that. So I'm like reevaluating like, okay, like if my days are going to look like this, how do I adjust? Mm-hmm. Um, so I like, I, I really like that. Um, and then parlaying that, um, I think this goes well where with your, your 10 K work quadrant and focusing Mm -hmm. on like the the things that actually matter and actually move the needle. That's been one of the hardest things for me to convey. If we're going back to the the title and explaining ourselves to other people, Mm -hmm. I shifted from the world of like doing task oriented things and, and just getting things done because you have that paycheck to, okay, I don't have the paycheck just sitting mm-hmm. sitting there anymore. Like I have to really focus my time on like what moves the needle forward. Yeah. And it hasn't always been easy to convey to other people, especially people that are attached to the to the other reality that I would call mm-hmm. it. But your quadrant really explains mm-hmm. like how to get there. So not everybody's going to go read your blog or yeah. do the things that I've done. So I'd love for them, if you could explain or help them visualize what that looks like yeah. so that they can implement that into their own life and really get more out of their life. Yeah. So the, the 10K work quadrant is, uh, it started as a, pro, a, a framework for prioritization. Just like, oh, should I send an email or should I, you know, go network and find a mentor, right? And it basically has these four quadrants where there's $10 work, $100 work, $1,000 work, and 10K work. And the axes are leverage and skill. So like low, so $10 work is low skill, low leverage. It's like um, uh, updating the emojis on your Notion page. Um, and then, you know, $100 work is like learning a productivity system or text expanders or superhuman or some like, I would say, some people would say ChatGPT is like 10K work, but I'd say most people are using ChatGPT as 100K work. So it's like slightly more productive, but it's not it's not going to solve your problems and not going to make your dreams come true. Um, ChatGPT, for the record, will not make your dreams come true. Uh, 1K work is the thing, low skill high skill, low leverage. So it's just like the thing you're paid to do. If you're a writer, you write. If you're a lawyer, you practice law. If you're a software engineer, you code. And then 10K work is this like weird intersection of you know unique skill uh, and leverage. And so like, I'll give you an example. Today, we had, we had like, like one of the biggest subscription days in our newsletter, like 350 um, posts, 350 new subscribers today. We average like 55. Um, and there's a business, business Insider article on me uh today it's the front page of business insider so we could put the link in and and stuff but um but the cool thing about that was that so it's like it moves the needle for our business really does um but it also was created through a variety of different activities that harness k's special sauce so to speak right so the person who wrote the the reason why I was in, it's an excerpt from a book 
and I used to work with the person who wrote the book. So he wrote a chapter on me. Why did he write a chapter on me? Because he and I, I mentored him a little bit. We were friends. And then I've been writing all this time and telling my story and his book covers, it's called The Good Enough Job. It covers like what's a good enough job and why people so attach to their jobs. So that relationship started. I've been promoting his book, no like agenda. I just, I want people to read it. It's called The Good Enough Book by Simon Stolsoff. Go read it. Um, not because like I want a commission or anything, not even because I'm in it because I believe in it. It's a great book. I believe in him. And so the 10K work is like this weird thing. It's almost like modern art, right? Like it's hard to define, but you know it when you see it. Um, and so it's just, I know that all these seeds that I've planted over the past, I met him five years ago at the unpaid internship phase of my life. All of those seeds I've planted are culminating today into this front page article. People are texting me. My phone's blowing up because Business Insider has insane reach, even though it's questionable quality. Um, the reach is insane and it's behind the paywall. It's, uh, and it's not paywall. So anyway, it's just to show that like along that journey of me meeting that even before I met the writer of this book, seeds have been planted, relationship seeds, knowledge seeds, um, transfer of skills seeds, energetic seeds, like you're, I vibe with you, you vibe with me. And they've culminated into this one thing that's just kind of like a boom for our business today. And you could have never predicted it, but they were part of how we showed up. And some of it was intentional. And look at where we are. So everyone has this seed planting special sauce that, that, that takes what lights you up, what makes you alive, and what you're good at and plays a long game, right? I met the writer five years ago, long fucking games. And then boom, these things just show up, boom, boom. And, and, and when one thing shows up, that's the leverage part. Like this, because there's such leverage in a Business Insider article, it's gonna catalyze all these other things that we have that I don't even know what they are right now. But I yep. know, I mean, I haven't checked my email in 75 minutes, but I know that there's gonna be some weird shit in my inbox because of that. You'll only be able to connect the dots going backwards. Exactly. Yeah, Steve Exactly, Jones and book. those seeds, yeah. every seed, mentoring him, writing, positioning myself in a certain way, brand positioning, marketing, energy. Energy is a huge one. Like I'm a high energy person, positive vibe, good vibes only. Um, I track, I try to track those people and stay away from ne like negative vibe people that they were all examples of this 10 K work along this journey and boom, they create this like explosive, explosive effect. Have you ever heard the quote? Don't be the best, be the only I have. Yeah. I don't know who yeah. says it, but that it, the 10 K work reminds me of that. It's like, okay, when I think of 10 K work, it's like, what can I only do? Like, mm, what is yeah. the, what is the, the pivot point of leverage mm -hmm. here? where this one little guy can lift 10,000 pounds. And mm -hmm. uh, it's funny, I was chatting about this the other day where I had this, I was out in Lake Tahoe with uh, on a men's retreat and we were um, out running up this like hill and I had my phone out on this like gimbal, if you're familiar with what that mm -hmm. is. Yep. And I'm videoing my two buddies and I'm running as fast as them like with the phone and the gimbal. And I had this like aha moment. I'm like, how many people in the world could actually 
do this. Like do, yeah. this is, this is the work I need to be doing. Yeah. This is the 10 K yes. work. Like, and I just did a Spartan race the other day where I had a Very GoPro cool. like attached to me. And again, I had that same feeling. I was like, wow, like nobody else out here is doing yeah. the race and doing it well and kind of like capturing and storytelling yeah. uh, this whole thing. So how do I go down that thread? And I wanted to, to speak to that uh, yeah. just to give a visual representation to anyone listening because your quadrant like unlocked, okay, again, another um, mm -hmm. another reference point for me to be like, okay, I'm on that right path. I need to just like kind of like dig my way a little bit more. Just yep. like I referenced the, the finding the diamonds earlier with the two guys. Mm -hmm. It's like just keep going a little bit further and use – our reference points like the 10k work quadrant yeah um and then like the, the outsourcing and and getting rid of off my plate uh some of the other stuff uh that i've been doing recently so it's it's been a validating thing to kind of see the path that you've been blazing down and congrats on the business insider because that's that's really cool and i look forward to sharing that with the world uh once we release this podcast so that's awesome um we're getting close to wrapping up here. I have two final questions. Yes. If someone loved what they heard from you here today and they want to connect with UK, what's the best way for them to do so? Yes. Thank you for, for, for everything, CJ. Uh, so uh, radreads.co, sign up for the newsletter. There's a like a welcome sequence. If you hit reply, it asks a question, what makes you come alive? If you write, rep okay. if you reply um, with a, with a in-depth, with a, with a heartfelt answer, I've, my team has instructions to flag them for me. So I'll go in and I'll read them and I'll respond to them. Um, so that would be the kind of the hub of everything. I'm most active on Twitter, Twitter DM. If anything here strikes your fancy, tickles your fancy, just DM me on Twitter. My DMs are open and, and I'll try my best. I will reply, it might take me a little while. Uh, and then shorts, mostly Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, but playing around. Uh, maybe CJ will give me the special sauce, sauce unlock uh, offline. Uh, but yeah, I'm feeling pretty creatively alive on those right now. So that's, that's it. Heck yeah. Go follow him, sign up for his newsletter. You won't regret it. I've been on there reading all your stuff. So I uh, appreciate what you put out into the world. It's very inspiring. Last question I always ask everybody is if you were to define the word thriving, mm -hmm. how would you define it? Hmm. I just say like living in alignment. It's like where every thought, every action, every word, every gesture is like perfectly in alignment. Um, that's thriving to me. Flow state. I love yes. that. You're aligned, so you're in flow state. Thank you again for this conversation. Thank you for spending the, the time. At the end of every episode, uh, I go through what my biggest takeaway was and there was so much in this episode. I can't wait to re-listen to it, but something hit home with me in the very beginning when you mentioned that voice from your dad. Mm -hmm. it, it, I need to reflect on my own life now because I think in, in different areas of life, we have the different voices in our head. So when I, mm -hmm. when I jump off this podcast, I, I really think I'm going to think back to the voices that I think I'm allowing external, mm -hmm. externally to creep in of like, you should go this way or you should do this yeah. thing rather than like, what must I do that's fun mm -hmm. to me that will make me come alive, like you say, and really just drill home there. Because I think in life, I mean, you just have, you have different um, seasons and mm -hmm. with my son being born, it's going to be yeah. a new season. And I've just, I've allowed some voices to creep in and I really need to take a step back. Like you said, um, 
ask myself what is fun within reason. Obviously we have responsibilities mm-hmm. in our life, but then what does truly make me come alive and, and navigating that. So I appreciate everything that you brought here today. Anybody listening again, please go sign up for Kay's newsletter, go check out his business insider, um, article. And then if you love this podcast, the best thing that you can do for us is to share his story and share this with somebody that you think could be helpful and give us that five-star rating and review. This is CJ Finley with the Thrive On Life podcast. Thrive on y'all. What's up y'all? This is CJ again. And on behalf of the small team here at Thrive On Life, I'd like to thank you for listening to one of our episodes. Our mission in life is to help people like you fuel your passion and make every heartbeat count. And we realize the best way to do this is together as a team. So we'd love for you to join in on this mission and connect with like-minded individuals within our Thrive On Life community. To do so, please head to thriveonlife.com and connect with us there. We'd love to chat with you. Before I sign off, I'd like you to always remember one thing. When we strive together, we thrive together. So please do your part in helping others thrive on life.